This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 141, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, January the 29th. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans podcast. This is episode 141, and it's the Comic Reviews episode for the week of Wednesday, January the 29th. I am your host, Adam Chapman. Welcome to the show. Every week with our odd-numbered episodes, we take a look back at the uh, comics that were released, and we do a quick bit of a review roundup of the books that came out, giving my impressions, etc., of the various titles that were released. Uh, this week was um, some interesting releases. Uh, I'm trying something a little bit new and flying by the seat of my pants a little. Uh, usually when I sit down to do these review episodes, I've actually already written down all my ratings and reviews. Uh, this past week I just wasn't able to get to my uh, my laptop where I usually record all these things, but instead I was reading most of my comics digitally or just out and about and I wasn't able to write down all my reviews. So it's going to be a little bit more interesting where I actually kind of go through each issue and then kind of decide afterwards. You may not notice any difference at all, but I will notice a difference in how I'm definitely rating and reviewing these. Uh, the first book we're going to take a look at is Aquaman 27. Uh, this is continuing new writer Jeff Parker's run on the book with Paul Pelletier uh, continuing to uh, provide the artwork. Uh, the cover has uh, the giant, I guess, kind of uh, mythical pretend, uh, protector of Atlantis that uh, Arthur is fighting. Uh, it's kind of a funny cover, though, because it's it's kind of a silly pose of Aquaman kind of jutting out of the water at a certain angle. with, And it looks like uh, they're, they're trying to have this uh, kind of this light effect from his head almost like he's like yelling or something or he's being all proud and he's putting up his triton and he's about to you know attack this monster it's kind of a weird cover just because Aquaman is so tiny and is insignificant on it uh that being said this was a good issue um the monster at times reminds me of Pelletier's artwork on the negation series from CrossGen back in the early 2000s um it's a relatively simple story though I mean there's a lot less going on here relatively speaking than in the last issue which was a lot more about uh, building the kind of this world that Aquaman's dealing with. That being said there's still a lot of important things that are happening here uh, we have some flashbacks to Arthur growing up with his dad um, you have I don't even know who this character is but uh, this Coombs character who's working for the Triton uh, the Triton base. Uh, I like that you have Dr. Shin working there as well. I mean, there's some. It, it still feels like a natural extension of what Jeff Johns started, but in a slightly new direction. I like the way that Arthur is portrayed. What he does, what he can to take down this uh, this Atlantean protector. Um, the issues with, you know, obviously the his own people not quite appreciating him and not liking how he kind of deals with the surface dwellers. Uh, this was an interesting issue for sure. I liked it. I, I dug it. Um, a lot of it is just the battle books for the, against the monster, but it was entertaining. Uh, I gave it an 8 out of 10. Good, solid artwork and good storytelling by Jeff Parker, which is really nothing less than what I've come to expect from him as a writer. He's extremely consistent. He delivers good, solid stories. Not always great stories, but they're usually pretty solid. Um, next up after Aquaman is Avengers Assemble 23, I don't think I'd read this book in a little while. I think it's been a little bit of a while since I've given it a shot. It's a point INH book, which unfortunately does not market for success. Um, the cover I hate. It's uh, really awkwardly drawn. Wolverine looks ridiculous. Spider-Girl, eh. Um, the actual issue is uh, written by Kelly Sue DeConnick um, and Warren Ellis, which is a kind of a weird mixture, and it's artwork by Matteo Bufagni, who I don't think I've really seen a lot of his artwork before. Um, he's got a clean style for the most part. Um, 
I mean, it was it didn't blow me away, but it, it was it was it was fairly entertaining. Uh, however, you, it's this weird story again. I missed the last issue, but you have Spider Woman and Spider Girl basically teamed up, and then Spider Woman goes and does her own thing, and instead Spider Girl teams up with Wolverine. And it's just a little much. Um, it's definitely current Wolverine. It doesn't have his healing factor, but Wolverine without a costume. And it's interesting because Wolverine is training, basically helping to teach this girl to go into combat. Yet a lot of it feels like it's the antithesis of the stance he should be taking. Because wasn't his entire point in X-Men Schism that they shouldn't be training young warriors? Whereas Cyclops is like, no, we got to train them to fight. And it seemed like Wolverine was more about wanting to teach them kind of like going into the Professor X model, which is the whole reason he brought out the school. Yet, the way he deals with Spider-Girl here feels completely against his recent philosophy post-schism. Um, I'm going to give the issue about a five. I, I just found the portrayal of Spider-Girl I liked. I just thought the Wolverine portrayal was just a... It just it really grated on me. Um, it didn't quite feel like Wolverine, and I got really bored, really. I mean, that's what it comes down to, is that I didn't find the issue that enjoyable, and the artwork was it was relatively clean, but at times it just had... It didn't have a lot of detail work in the in the faces, in the expressions, the facial expressions, etc. It was clean line work, but not necessarily in the best way, because um, I found it was maybe lacking a little bit in terms of being descriptive artwork. Uh, in terms of what it was portraying, and the storytelling capabilities were a little, a little static. It was um, a little lacking in fluidity of motion, and and that is something I really look for. Uh, so I'm giving it a five. Uh, next up is Batman and Robin Annual number two. Um, part of me, the part of me that likes continuity, wants to freak out about this a little. We finally get a, a greater sense of Dick Grayson's early days as Robin. That being said, like it's very different from the modern, and that part I don't like, but uh, you got Peter J. Tomasi writing it, which is the regular writer for Batman and Robin. Uh, you have Doug Monkey with Pat Gleason. So you have the regular penciler doing a little bit of this, but a lot of it by Doug Monkey, who is uh, kind of pitching in and helping out uh, for the annual. The artwork, for the most part, is really enjoyable, and it's a flashback tale of Dick Grayson's first day, like first few days as Robin, uh, how he originally gets benched by Batman because um, he tries, he doesn't want to stick in the shadows. He wants to be a partner. And Batman's not really letting him do that. And then uh, he, you know, tries to kind of do things on his own. Goes up against a guy named Tusk. And it's all kind of framed under a framing sequence of Dick Ray, uh, Bruce Wayne finding something of Damien's that is meant for Dick Grayson. And then having, um, you know, they're, they kind of flash back to this original uh, interaction with this character named Tusk. And you get the sense that over the years, uh, Robin fought Tusk a lot. And then finally... Uh, uh, Damien took him out finally and uh, proved that he was the champion that he was better than than Robin uh, sorry than Dick Grayson never could have been uh, I like that, that that kind of camaraderie between those two characters I like that we get a little glimpse of that in the uh, framing sequence here um, I think this was just a lot of fun it was really solid annual because it definitely ties into what these characters have been dealing with in the last little while uh, in terms of the loss of Damien, so it definitely harkens back to that. You do get to see a Batman and Robin adventure, albeit not maybe the one you would have expected because it's the young Dick Grayson. Um, I dug this quite a lot. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Uh, the, again, the artwork was pretty great by Gleason and Doug Monkey, who are kind of an interesting uh, one-two punch. Uh, this is great. This is a solid read. Uh, next up is Batman the Dark Knight, number 27. I really didn't like this. Um... Part of it's just that it's it felt like one of those enough sad issues that didn't have any 
any talking. And I can't even remember what happened in the last issue, but I think that was part of the point. It's written by Greg Hurwitz with artwork by Alberto Ponticelli. Uh, the artwork leaves a little bit to be desired. It's not my favorite bad art I've seen in a while. Uh, the story at times is a little hard to follow. Uh, there is no actual narration. It's all quiet. There's some really strong panels, but there's just also a lot of guesswork that there shouldn't be. Um, you know, it, it was kind of a nice little done-in-one, but it wasn't really to my taste. Again, not having narration, I get the stylistic point that Greg Kerwitz is putting into place here, but I personally didn't really like it all that much. I thought it just... It asks a little bit more of your reader, which is cool, uh, as your reader kind of have to interpret things, but at the same time, um, I don't know, like, narration is not a bad thing, and having narration or even, like, just dialogue boxes or something would have added a little bit more heft to this, because you put so much on the artist, and I don't know if the artist was necessarily up to the task. Uh, as I said, it was able artwork, but it was not my favorite artwork. I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Uh, next up is Catwoman, number 27. Oh, man. Uh, Gothtopia is a giant mess because you have this storyline start in this massive Detective Comics 27 uh, as, like, a backup where it really should have been, like, the, the primary lead story. Um, you don't really have any way of telling people... Like, you have the Gothtopia banner at the top, but you have no way of explaining what that is. Um, they don't explain it really at all. They're, if they just had one recap page saying what had happened, like, you have this little brief... Um, you know, intro at the beginning saying welcome to Gothopia, but it doesn't actually tell you what's been going on. So you see this Batman in this white suit. You see Catwoman now calling herself was it Ladybird or something stupid like that. Um, I, or sorry, Catbird, um, which is dumb. Um, so you have Catwoman and Batman have this you know relationship. Uh, Catwoman has all in her civilian identity is uh, and I haven't read Catwoman in quite a while, so I've only really read this because it was part of Gothopia. Um, so you have her working in her civilian identity at the peace department, uh, because there's no police department. And then out of nowhere, you flash forward a few days to Batman being put in, uh, the health and wellness center for crime rehabilitation, which is really Arkham Asylum. There's no real description of why this is happening. Um, you see, like, a, a brief discussion of, you know, was this right to take him down? Maybe we betrayed him? And, and then there's a little, uh, editor's note that you can see this battle in Detective 27, um, I just found that there's that's not good enough. I, I think you need to give a little bit more explanation as to what the hell is going on in the storyline. If you're going to have the storyline where everyone wakes up and suddenly everything is bright and happy and they're not who they used to be and they're not villains anymore, you kind of have to explain it a little. And Gothopia in the first chapter eventually showed a little bit of that, but this particular chapter did not do a lot to do so. There's definitely moments where the issue is interesting, but it just feels like we've read this story before in a lot of ways, because every Gothopia chapter is kind of like this, with a hero slowly coming to realize that something's wrong and kind of figuring it out. Um, that being said, I mean, the artwork's by Pat O'Leaf, which I gotta say, I did not even realize it was his artwork. Um, I, now that I kind of look over it again, I can see the telltale signs of this being Pat O'Leaf, but to be honest, uh, I gotta give credit that he's. He has a kind of a different style here. Maybe it's the colorist. It's more vibrant than sometimes his artwork looks, which isn't a slam on the artist who usually colorists, colorizes him, but it's just an observation. Uh, maybe the inks are a little bit different. I mean, I definitely like the the, uh, the artwork here by Patrick O'Leaf um, and Nascenti. D did an okay job writing. There's definitely some interesting psychological aspects with uh, Catwoman fighting Catbird uh, in her mind, 
um, the kind of the the past that they they reference as well. It's interesting, but th- there's definitely some problems here. Um, I'm gonna give it uh, maybe a six and a half out of ten. Maybe I'm being too hard. Maybe I'm gonna be a little lenient today. I'm gonna give it a seven. Uh, next up is Damien, son of Batman. Whew. Um, you know, this isn't the worst chapter, so that's you know an improvement. Um, this book, written and uh, illustrated by Andy Kubert, has had a lot of problems. Um, this issue is probably more concentrated as you have Batman versus this new version of the Joker. Um, the Joker is threatening to kill his dad. He's kind of going against all these thugs and, you know, uh, thugs that are just attacking him. He's able to take them all down. He's able to take down the Joker as well and get his dad out of there. Uh, he brutalized the Joker but doesn't kill him. But then the but then he gets murdered by, um, by the original Joker who shows up looking in fairly good health. And uh, it just kind of then leads into the idea that Batman is, you know, on the prowl and um, he's, you know, just around and doing the Batman thing. And now Damien is taking on the role full time. Um, I felt like it wasn't very as conclusive as, as it didn't feel as conclusive as it should feel as the last issue. It just felt like, you know, we were setting up a, a continuity or a status quo that we're never going to see done anywhere else. Um I gave the issue, I'm going to give the issue about a five, maybe, maybe a five. It's really because of the artwork. I like the artwork. I just found the story really not enjoyable. Um, it was probably better than some of the previous chapters have been, which is why I didn't give it a lower rating, but it just felt like it, it took so long to get there and it just, it didn't, I don't know. It's, it just wasn't quite to my cup of, uh, my cup of tea, unfortunately. Um, so that. Yeah, that's that's too bad because I had you know I didn't have high hopes necessarily, but I definitely had better, uh, bigger hopes than we ended up getting from this series. I thought we'd get a little bit more of an interesting kind of um, take on Damien. I think not having Bruce Wayne be dead was kind of what really shook it for me. Like I think he should have been dead and he wasn't, and that kind of ruined this a little bit. Uh, next up is Earth Two Annual Number Two. Now this is a big deal because we finally find out who the Earth Two Batman is. Who knows if this is who James Robinson had in mind? I'm sure it isn't. Um, not again. Nothing against either Tom Taylor or James Robinson, but I'm sure that they didn't have the exact same idea. Um, so this is uh, written by Tom Taylor, artwork by Robinson Roca. I really like the artwork. It uh, maintains an artistic consistency that keeps it in line with Nicholas Scott's artwork while, while still being different enough. Um, as you can see on the cover, it says proudly uh, the shocking um, you know, origin revealed uh, behind this version of this new version of Batman, the shocking origin of Batman. So here we have Batman kind of explaining how it all happened. So we see in real time, 1979, Park Row, Gotham, in Crime Alley, you see the assassination of Bruce Wayne's parents, which obviously uh, is what ends up creating Batman. Uh, we know that it's Joe Chill. And we flash forward to 1994, and Batman, a young version of Batman, is investigating, and he finds uh, Joe Chill's body. It's all tied into um, this crime boss, and some of these crime bosses' heavies have been murdered. Uh, Batman's trying to figure out what the connection all is. And then he kind of uh, realizes that there's only one connection, and it's it's Thomas Wayne and then we got this uh, retrospective that in 1971 Thomas Wayne saves his crime boss's life um, and he ends up kind of getting lured into the dark side so I have no problem with something like this because it's Earth 2 uh, I know it sounds like a cop-out but I don't have any problem with the Thomas Wayne kind of being involved in drugs and maybe not being the paragon of virtue that we know him to be or at least 
we know him to be referred to as in the main DC universe. I have no problem with him being a little bit uh, uncouth in the uh, Earth 2 universe, and that's what he is here. So he has a kid, and he kind of has a conscience, and he decides he's going to kind of leave this life behind. But in the middle of things, as a, a message is being given to him, uh, Jarvis um, Pennyworth kind of defends him and beats off those who would hurt him. And then a few years later, he gets assassinated by Joe Chill, who was hired by this mob boss. Um, Batman then goes to takes off, thinking that this mysterious man might be Jarvis, but it ends up not being Jarvis Pennyworth, but in fact is his own father, Thomas Wayne, who has survived. He's been using Miracolo to get super these powers so he could put his vengeance upon this crime boss. Again, this is you know years, years earlier. He then um, Batman basically you know doesn't necessarily stop him, but it looks like he lets him kill this mob boss. And then we don't really see what happens after that, except for the idea that uh, he kind of shunned his dad. His dad lived a life apart. He knew all these things going on in Bruce's life, but wasn't a part of his life. And then once his son died, he decided to take up the mantle of the bat and become the new Batman. So I actually really like this origin. I like the story. I like the artwork. I think it was the only thing that made me take a little bit of pause was the idea that Batman seems to have allowed his dad to go back and murder this man. But other than that, I really enjoyed it. I like the reference to Rex Mason. I love the that he's this tortured version of Batman. I'm sure that part of the impetus for this is the idea that we had a, a grizzled Thomas Wayne as Batman in um, in the Flashpoint universe, so we definitely have some precedent for having this version of the character. I really enjoyed this. I found it a lot of... Uh, just a really good read. Uh, I like having a different take on Thomas as well. This was fantastic. Uh, I gave it a 9 out of 10. Uh, next up is Flash, uh, number 27, um, this is written by Brian Bucciolato, artwork by Patrick Zerker. I do like Patrick Zerker. Um, this storyline, I don't know, the artwork is so different, and I kind of miss Manipole already, but it's a almost a grittier take on The Flash. Uh, you have the idea here that maybe that there's this, uh, this killer who may or may not have been involved in Barry's dad's death. Sorry, his mom's death, sorry. Um, so he's trying to find out, and then... I just don't think there's a lot of progression here as a story. I think this could have moved a little bit faster, pun intended. Um, I'm not going to say a lot more about it just because, I don't know, I, to be honest, I forget a little bit of what happened in this issue. I found the, the last page didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, it, it's very run-of-the-mill. It wasn't that strong. I'm going to give it a 6.5 out of 10 because it's not nearly as bad as other things I've seen recently. Uh, but it could have been a lot stronger for sure. Uh, next up is uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 11 point now. Oh, this is frustrating. So this is part two of the Trial of Jean Grey storyline, kind of. Uh, it's 11 point now. Um, most of this issue is just, it just feels very slow. You have uh, Peter Quill being hit on by a Skrull. Uh, he gets drugged by a Skrull. Uh, then you have um, Star-Lord's dad dealing with the, the Cosmic Council. I'm surprised he's even allowed to do anything with them after what happened in uh, Infinity. You have a call out of callbacks to the idea of the Phoenix because they found out that Jean Grey is still alive. Um, the Gladiator allows them to send a, a, basically a squad of Shi'ar commandos to go get her. Um, the Gladiators find out about this kind of kind of too late, and then they go to try and stop it from happening. But they've got there just a, a minute too late, and Jean Grey's already gone. Um, I'm only bothered by this because. There's no progression at all in the storyline. I'd almost rather have had, you know, um, I don't know, something. I or 
it, it's a crossover yet yeah, really not really like the first two chapters are re really chapters 1a and 1b as opposed to chapter one and chapter two because we have no progression from where we were in all new x-men uh, my brother-in-law had asked me to go pick up Paul, who's been on the show before. was like, I'm changing comic stores. Can you pick up Guardians of the Galaxy 11 point now for me? I'm like, yeah, of course. And then I read this issue, and I'm like, are you sure you want this? Because it doesn't really move anything along. And he doesn't buy that book on a regular basis. He's like, no, no, I'm a completist. I need this. I'm like, okay, but you're really not missing anything in terms of the overall storyline. You get a little bit of background on what's going on with the, them showing up to take Jean Grey, but really... If you know anything about the X-Men universe, you can kind of figure it out for yourself. Um, the artwork is nice, obviously. I mean, it's by Sarah Pacelli, and she's a great artist, and Brian Michael Bendis does an able job, but it just felt like this is a much slower-moving issue than Old New X-Men, which felt a lot more... I don't know, there's just so much more to enjoy in that, in that chapter one, and chapter two just felt like we'd already seen... Okay, you know what? I'm going to go back for a second. If chapter one hadn't come out, and this had come out first, and then we'd had chapter one... If they just inverted, I probably would have... I still probably would have enjoyed the all-new X-Men issue more, even though I would have had the same problem with it not covering any new ground. Uh, that being said, I just found this issue didn't do enough new, and it just felt a lot of just talking, talking. In the Guardians of the Galaxy, they should be doing adventures. And I just found it was way too slow. There were not enough adventures at all. I'm going to give it a... The artwork's so beautiful, I'm going to give it a 6. It's like a 4 for artwork and a 2 for story. Uh, next up is Superior Spider-Man 26. This was a solid, solid read. It's a little bit all over the place, but I like it. Um, you have three different artists involved here. you got Humberto Ramos doing the uh, Goblin vs. Goblin storyline. You have um, Javier Rodriguez doing the uh, Avengers storyline. And then you have... Uh, Marcos Martin doing the Mindscape stuff. So, first you have the Humberto Ramos story where you have Green Goblin's forces versus Hobgoblin's forces, uh, which is kind of cool to see. The only thing I don't like about this is you have Hobgoblin and Green Goblin having a bit of a tete-a-tete, -tete, and that part's cool. However, there's certain elements here that don't quite work. First of all, what we learn at the end of the issue is that this isn't the real Hobgoblin. This is actually a stand-in. So the fact that he does this well against the Green Goblin is a little bothersome. I get why. I get he's got you know all these memories of combat. That's why he's able to do this well, because he thinks that he's Roderick Kingsley. Um, but that was a little bit frustrating just to see that. Um, the fact that he mentioned Harry Osborn during a fight with Green Goblin, and Green Goblin seemed almost distracted... And that allowed the Green Goblin to have a pumpkin bomb blasted at him right in his chest. Kind of makes me wonder as well. And it, it feels like they're almost too hard trying to show that this is Norman. By you see like um, an impaled, you know, the the scar that he should have. But it doesn't look like a scar at all the way that uh, Humberto Ramos illustrates it. But I get what the, the scar doesn't look like that. It looks like someone punched his chest and broke it. And that he's actually the thing. Like, that's what the artwork looks like on Green Goblin. Um, I get what they're going for. It's a scar that from where the Goblin Glider hit him. I like that this is how they're showing that it's Norman, but he hasn't actually taken off the mask. So I'm still wondering, is this actually Norman Osborn? We actually have no verification that it really is. It definitely seems to be, um, but there's nothing to prove it. Um, he theoretically kills the Hobgoblin, but Goblin Knight, or Phil York, is the only one who thinks enough to check the mask because he's been here before, having killed a Hobgoblin before, to make sure it's the right Hobgoblin and discovers it's not the Hobgoblin and Roderick Kingsley's still out there. We then realize that he's in Paris and he's been uh, brainwashing these stand-ins like he's always been doing. Lefty Donovan, Dead Leads. He loves to uh, brainwash these stand-ins. 
uh, and I guess theoretically also his brother, Daniel Kingsley. So this is just another in a long line, which I'm okay with. Uh, so he wasn't actually involved in this particular goblin fight, which is kind of an interesting, not cop-out, but an interesting way to go, uh, to kind of save face here a little. Um, so I enjoyed that part of the storyline. Uh, then you have the aspects of the storyline with the Avengers uh, kind of telling Spider-Man they have to talk and confronting him with what he's been doing, having uh, you know deleted the um, material that was on these medical scans previously. Generally, I mean, it was a, it was an interesting. I really like the artwork by Javier Rodriguez. It's fantastic. Uh, he really nails how nonchalant Spider-Man really is about the whole thing, and how I do like how Slot writes how Doc Ock basically tries to get his way, get out of it, and it's kind of interesting how he does, uh, and it's definitely setting him up for defeat uh, going forward. Uh, then you also have in the Mindscape, Marcus Martin uh, rendering uh, the Spider-Man that has you know salvaged himself, the Peter Parker in the Mindscape, who has uh, found himself still alive but doesn't quite know who that is anymore um, because there's not much left of the memories except for those that Doc Ock had already accessed and now exist in Doc Ock's memory. Uh, it's definitely interesting to see um, how Ghost Peter's kind of dealing with being in... Uh, the psyche and trying to figure out who he is. It's interesting though, it does kind of run counter to how he was illustrated as being written as um, in what, Superior Spider Man 25 because it felt a lot more definite about who he was. Yet here, it feels a lot less definite because he's kind of figuring out who he is more. Uh, but I do like kind of how Slot is handling it, and Marcus Martin was the perfect choice to do the illustrations for it. Uh, I really enjoyed this issue. Um, I went back and forth on it many times on how much I enjoyed it and if certain things bugged me more than other things. But when I really kind of think back, and I think this was an exciting and fun issue. It was broken into three distinct parts, which at first was off-putting. But once I looked at it again, I was like, you know what, this actually works. Um, so I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. This is a solid read. Uh, next up is Talon, number 15. Um, this, I thought the series was over. I thought it was ending. I wasn't quite sure. Uh, this this whole storyline is interesting because it's written by who? Marguerite Bennett. Artwork by Jorge Lewis. Sorry, Jorge Lucas. Um, it's really just a flashback story. And it's such an intricately and well-told one where you see the aftermath and then you move backwards in time as seeing how this particular talent was created. I'm not going to say anything else about it, really, because I don't want to ruin kind of the fun and the enjoyment of reading the issue, but it ends up being a lot more complex and a lot more kind of labyrinth in how it's created, and going back and seeing the origins of this character, um, it's extremely well done. I don't know if we're going to maybe end up seeing this character again or not, or if it's just a weird done-on-one, but I really dug this, and it's because you move from you know kind of current where this character becomes a talon and then you kind of move back and see the progression of getting to that point where it gets to be a talon and it's complex it's messed up it's very dark and sinister and twisted but extremely well written um i'm gonna give this a nine out of ten uh jorge lucas lucas does fantastic work here i don't even know if i've really read anything of bennett's before she but she nails it um such an odd out of nowhere issue but i loved it nine out of ten uh, next up is Thunderbolts 21. I don't remember what I gave the last issue of Thunderbolts. Um, I'm going to give this, I guess, a, maybe a 6. Uh, maybe a 6.5. As much as I want to not like this book, 
Um, Charles Soule is doing a better job of writing it than Daniel Way did. Artwork by Carlo Barberi, who I enjoy. Uh, got a very clean style, clean design. Um, so a lot of talking here, considering it's an issue where they're in hell, but it's definitely intriguing. I like the Electra Frank Castle dynamic here. As much as I don't like that they're getting together, how they're written here is actually quite interesting. And the idea of uh, Punisher's, you know, vaunted code and not taking money for doing what he does, uh, kind of being tested by Electra, which is interesting to see them playing off each other. Uh, if you have to have these two characters interacting together and kind of almost having a relationship, this is the way to do it, and it's much more interesting as a result. Um, I'm interested in the, the whole com idea of having a, a deal being struck with Mephisto is actually really funny. Um, it's played half for laughs, half serious. It's more serious before Deadpool really gets involved uh, with his provisos. Um, but And I'm uh, interested to see where Guido gets involved, where... There is a brief moment here where I think it's Red Hulk, and I don't think he's who should be saying this, but Red Hulk looks at Guido, strong guy, on the throne of hell and says, wait, isn't that Guido? And I'm like, does Red Hulk know Guido? I feel like he doesn't. So it just bothers me that, that Thunderbolt Ross seems to know who Guido Carcello is. Um, if it had been Deadpool, I think it would have made more sense, but for it to be Thunderbolt Ross, I felt was a little bit of a stretch. But I'm going to give this a 6.5 out of 10. Having Ghost Rider on here is a little bit... It's a weird choice, but it's a choice I'm actually enjoying. Um, and kind of calling out the Thunderbolts for their weird red um, color scheme as well. It's kind of fun to see. Uh, next up is Uncanny X-Force 17. So this is the, I guess, the last issue of Uncanny X-Force. Um, I actually kind of dug this. I haven't read Uncanny X-Force in, like, I don't know, 12 issues, it feels like. I haven't really read X-Force with Cable either. Um, but I actually like this. This is Vendetta Part 4 with artwork by Harvey Talabao, and uh, it's written by Sam Humphreys. Um, so you have the two X-Forces coming together. Um, you have S Strife is back somehow. Again, I haven't really been reading this book, so I don't even know why he's back. He's trying to get Hope to kill Bishop, which she ends up not doing. Um, I actually kind of dug this. You know, the artwork at times wasn't quite to my taste, but... Partway through the issue, I feel like it really got much stronger, had a bit of a darker palette, darker sensibilities. I like that uh, Bishop and Hope have kind of a weird moment together, which I think is actually kind of earned. I don't like that Hope is made to look like a mid-twenties, you know, extremely buxom woman. I like when she's portrayed as being more of a, you know, a late teens. Um, it wasn't the worst issue. I thought there were some interesting parts with Hope and Bishop and Cable ostensibly the most interesting characters in this kind of melee. Uh, Strife is kind of played for not much. I mean, he's kind of overdone, and no one really knows what, what version of Strife we're even using, what timeline he's from. Like, who knows? I mean, I, I'm sure, pretty sure there's no continuity cop at Marvel who even gives a fuck about that, because he's such a messed up character. Uh, I'm going to give it about a six. Uh, it seems really low, but I think that's a lot higher than it probably deserves in the last few issues. I just think there were some interesting portions of this you know i change that six and a half i'll give it uh and next is world's finest annual number one um i like this um it's a flashback story for the you know the origins of the power girl and um huntress characters and seeing what their lives were like on earth Two. it's written by paul levitz with uh artwork by diogene neve um, I really enjoyed this kind of this story. I like seeing how Earth Two Batman operates as a as a father figure and having to deal with uh, with the young impetuous Robin, um, who's just as much her 
father's daughter as she is her mother's daughter and kind of seeing how those traits battle it out inside her and also seeing Karen dealing with wanting to be a hero uh, and kind of going into action as Supergirl really for one of the first times um, and seeing the, the death of someone that she likes a lot and then you're also seeing Superman and Batman kind of coming together uh, you also get to see a little bit more of the Fury in one of her first appearances as Supergirl and Batman, sorry, Supergirl and Robin fight against her and also fight against um, uh, Wonder Woman. Definitely intriguing. A lot of interesting things happening here. And I'm interested to see how... I mean, I like this story, but I'm wondering how this will impact these characters because it was an old story. It's an old thing that happened to them and how it might affect what we see from them in the future in the uh, the upcoming crossover f- between the world's finest and uh, I guess Batman Superman or Superman Batman whatever it's called now uh, I'm going to give this an 8 out of 10 I actually thought it was a lot more solid than I would have expected and I actually liked it it was fun and it was engaging it was something um, yeah it was a bit of a surprise but I did like it quite a lot so that is the end of our episode so the items I did not get a chance to uh, read this week for various reasons some that I just didn't have any interest in, some I just didn't have a time or couldn't find a copy or what have you, are Adventures of Superman 9, All-Star Western 27, Amazing Spider-Man Movie Adaptation number 1, Beware the Batman 4, Cataclysm Ultimates Last Stand number 4, Dead Boy Detectives number 2, Fables 137, Forever Evil Argus number 4, Green Lantern Corps Annual number 2, Green Team Teen Trillionaires number 8, I think that was the last issue, Inhumanity number 2, which I started to read, it was originally called Inhumanity Medusa, then they renumbered it to just being Inhumanity number 2. Uh, I started reading it, wasn't a big fan of what I got through, so I stopped and I just I knew that I had limited time to prepare for the podcast and it just wasn't going to make the cut. Miracle Man Remastered number 2, Night of Living Deadpool number 2, Red Lanterns 27, Revolution. I started reading that, but I was like, I don't care. Uh, Revolutionary War, Knights of Pendragon number 1, Smallville Season 11, Special number 4, Superman 27, Teen Titans 27, which I started to read and thought, I just cannot read this any longer. Um, Thor God of Thunder 18 Uncanny Avenger 16 completely didn't realize it came out I'm super bummed I haven't had a chance to read it yet and X-Men Legacy 23 Uh, as a quick look forward to next week um, some of the things that that are you know notable uh, releases include Batman Joker's Daughter number 1 Batwing 28 which is the next chapter of Gotopia for that title Detective Comics 28 which is the next chapter of Gotopia for Batman Uh, you got Earth 2 20 another issue by Tom Taylor uh, you have the uh, Flash Trade Paperback Volume 2, Rogue's Revolution, finally coming out. Forever Evil Number 5 is finally coming, where we see more of Lex Luthor's slow journey to being part of the Justice League, which I'm torn about. Uh, you have the Green Lantern, Green, sorry, Green Lantern, Red Lantern Combo Pack, which is a great idea. It's uh, $2.99 for uh, basically a, a combo issue where you get an issue of both Red Lanterns and Green Lantern. Great idea, great marketing ploy. It's a great way to get people to try Red Lanterns who normally wouldn't without having to spend an extra $3. Great on you, uh, DC. That's a great idea. Um, JLA, Trip Paperback, Volume 4, reprinting the Grant Morrison run. Although at that point, I don't even know if it's still Grant Morrison's book. Um, Ravagers, Volume 2. Surprised they keep going, but I guess they just want to keep everything in trade. Uh, Vampire Diaries, number 2. From the Marvel side, you have All New Invaders, number 2, which I'm enjoying. Black Widow, number 3. Man, that book's coming out fast. I mean, I've loved the first two issues, but holy crap. Maybe slow it down a little. 
I can understand the big marquee titles, but the titles that are already going to be on the bubble for most people, maybe not putting out so many issues in such a short period. We've just started in January and already up to issue three. It's not a book that needs to be double shipped. I love it. It's great. I love the artwork by Phil Noto and the uh, writing by Phil Edmondson, but or Nathan Edmondson, I think. But uh, holy crap, slow it down a little. Uh, we have um, all new Marvel Now issues of Avengers AI and Captain America, which is Captain America 16 point now as part of the all new Marvel Now. Uh, we have um, Infinity Hardcover coming out, which unfortunately does not collect everything that's in the Avengers and New Avengers uh, trade paperbacks, which are or hardcovers that are also cover Infinity. There's two issues of Avengers that cut out, got cut out. So if you want to have everything in Avengers and you want to get the Infinity Hardcover, you're going to have to get uh, Avengers Volume 1 hardcover, Volume 2 hardcover, Volume 3 hardcover, and Infinity Hardcover, and then you'll have about four issues doubled up, which is annoying. But that's what Marvel decided to do. Uh, the Infinity Heist and Infinity Hunch uh, miniseries are being collected into one big trade paperback for twenty four ninety nine US. Uh, we have Lo- Loki Agent of Asgard number one, which I'm excited about trying out. Um, you have Miss Marvel number one coming out as part of All New Marvel Now. It's big as well, as well as Punisher number one. So those are big new releases for the All New Marvel Now. Uh, Star Lord Annihilation Conquest, that miniseries is being reprinted in a kind of $8 mini trade. Uh, Superior Carnage Annual is coming out, which is weird. Just because Superior Carnage came out last week in trade paperback, uh, and yet, for some reason, now they're going in annual. So if I was just a, a trade person, I wouldn't be able to get that annual as part of it. It's kind of a weird choice. If you're going to release it, release it before the trade and then have it in the trade. It's just an odd choice by the collections department. Uh, Superior Foes of Spider-Man number 8. As I said before, I was a big fan of number 7, so I actually went back and read the first six issues. So I'm actually on board to see what this is like. Uh, you have uh, Wolverine number one by Ryan Stegman and Paul Cornell coming out, which I'm. Uh, let's see how that's like. And X Men uh, Ten Point now, which is part of the All New Marvel now. Uh, hardcover wise, we also have the X Men Phalanx Covenant coming out. It's a little bit expensive. It's listed in Diamond for seventy five dollars, but it'll be less uh, if you go to a any good comic book store that you're a member of. Will probably give you a discount, or you can get it discounted at Amazon or other e retailers, etc. Um, and actually. Another thing I didn't mention from this past week's releases was the complete Warlock by Jim Starlin, which was sure to make a lot of uh, Cosmic fans excited and happy. Anyways, that is the episode for this week for the releases for January 29th. You can reach me, Adam Chapman, at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Rate and review the show on iTunes. Uh, if you do rate and, sh- rate and review the show, um, maybe send me a quick email just to say I rated the show... Apparently, I was listening to another podcast, the uh, Superior Spider Talk podcast, and apparently uh, they were saying how people who had rated reviewed the show with Canadian iTunes didn't show up when they were checking it. So I guess there's something on iTunes you can check how you view the iTunes uh, to see the actual rating and reviewing. So if you do review the show and I can't see it for whatever reason, it's because you're probably in a different country. So let me know which country to check it. So I'd love to see the, uh, the any comments and reviews we might get. Uh, please also post in our HC Realms threads and uh, keep them coming. And uh, for next week's episode, 142, I'm not really sure what we'll do yet, but uh, probably be a flashback or a spotlight episode. Um, sometime in the near future, I'm hoping that I might be able to do a joint episode with uh, my good friend, uh, Tibor Mate, uh, either on Star Trek or maybe on the new RoboCop movie. So we'll see how it comes of that. Anyway, thank you for joining me for episode 141, and I will catch you next time. Bye-bye.